are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Would you stand with me, please, for the reading of Scripture? Today's Scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 18 through 25. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in the land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord, it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come, to him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. This is the word of the Lord. It was actually a drive through Indianapolis that led me to buy a GPS. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, our kids were younger, we were living in St. Louis and heading up towards northern Michigan for a family getaway. And everything was going great until we get to Indianapolis where, as you all know, there's what, like four interstates that all kind of converge here, and then another interstate that goes around the outside and connects them all, and uh, is there any reason they all have to have similar numbers between 65 and 74? Uh, so anyway, this was back in the days uh, before we had GPS on our cell phones, so Amelia, my wife, is in the passenger seat, and she's the navigator, and what we had was a big road atlas. Remember those? Uh, kids, this was a giant book of maps that, uh, that's just printed, so you have to look at it and figure it out. There's no, nobody telling you which way to turn and what exit. Uh, so I'm going through Indianapolis at 60-plus miles an hour, and uh, the cars are whizzing around on 465, of course, because that's practice for the 500. And uh, we're trying to figure out what exchange to take, and it's all confusing. And I'm asking Amelia, is this right? Are we headed in the right way? Are you sure? And uh, maps are not really her thing. She has a lot of other strengths. Uh, and I'm asking her, is, is, is this where we're supposed to be going? And she said, yes, I think so. I don't know. Uh, and finally, we pulled over, uh, figured out where we were supposed to be going, and I bought a GPS for the rest of the ride home. See, in that moment, especially, maybe you all have been there, uh, I want to know, somebody knows where we're going, somebody's in control, somebody has the answer, somebody has a plan, they're giving directions, and it's all going to work out. And that was not my wife. Uh, no offense, honey. Uh, but we can relate to that, right? Uh, I mean, now we have 
GPS in our smartphones and the soothing voice of Siri or Alexa tells us where to go and gives us confidence that it's all you know, under control, except have you ever had the experience where you followed GPS directions and ended up in the wrong place? Uh, and then, of course, argued with your passenger, no, I know exactly where I'm going. We want direction. Uh, we're looking for stability. Uh, we want to know that somebody's got things in control, uh, that there's a plan, that, that it's working out. And that's not just when we're driving, that's in life. I mean, that's what we all long for, right? And 2020, especially, has given us plenty of reasons to wonder what's going on and to question all those issues of stability and confidence and is there a plan, whether it's a pandemic or economic uncertainty or trying to figure out how to manage jobs and kids at home with school and not having enough room in our house and then all the relational issues that come up because of that or because of all the political and social turmoil and, and just the relational dynamics. And maybe it's made some of us wonder, God, what are you doing? What is going on? And is this under control? Do you have a plan? That's where things get overwhelming, seem out of control, is when we want something, someone, that can offer us some kind of hope of rescue, uh, direction, uh, confidence, security. And there's a temptation in those times to look for someone or something that offers some relief, that offers some hope. Well, in this section in Isaiah 45, uh, we hear God's encouraging reminders through the prophet of strong hope for tough times. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 45 in your Bibles. And we're going to be looking at this passage starting in verse 18. And what we want to see in this section today if you're following along or taking notes, is this key idea that strong hope comes from a big God. Strong hope comes from a big God. Now, where do we see that? Well, you may have noticed, if you were paying attention to the reading, you've listened to some of the other passages you've been doing in Isaiah 40 through 49, this kind of repeated refrain. God is well, kind of correcting his people for looking for other gods, looking for other solutions. And did you hear what God said, for example, in verse 18 at the end? I am Yahweh, the Lord. There is no other. In verse 21, there is no other God besides me. There is none besides me. In verse 22, I am God. There is no other. It goes all through this all through this passage. And the reason that God says that, again, is because his people, in the middle of uncertainty and difficult times, we're tempted to look for quick solutions. And God's saying, look, my, you, my people, you, you've not really listened to me, you've not really trusted to me, you've gone looking for other so-called gods that seem to offer a solution, a quick fix that don't ask as much. And, and that comes out really clearly in verses 20 and 21, if, if you heard that, where God is 
criticizing these people who are caring about their wooden idols and praying to gods that cannot save. Now, when we hear about idols, it, we have to recognize it, it automatically makes us think of, oh, you know, that was long ago and far away, and, and that's not us. But really, idolatry is not so much about building a little statue or even calling something God. Whenever we look for something other than God to do what only God can do, that's idolatry. Whenever we love or trust or rely in or hope in or want something that should be God, that's idolatry. It's the thing or the person that we want more than God, that we trust more than God, that, that we hope in more than God. It, it could be a person, it could be a boyfriend, a girlfriend, it, it could be our self-image that we project for ourselves. You know, I'm, I'm a good person, I'm a good citizen, I'm a good student. It could be putting our hope in business success, financial security. It can be as obvious in our culture as uh, what we're bombarded with every day in materialism and consumerism. Buy this, do that, and you'll be happy. You'll have real life. It can be as subtle as our own trust in our wisdom and knowledge and how science and technology are going to fix every problem for us and bring us into a, a glorious future. Whatever we turn to, to comfort us, to give us hope, to give us security, to give us satisfaction, whether we call it a God or not, that's where our hearts are tempted to produce idols. And idols may deliver some satisfaction. They, they may provide some relief, some enjoyment, some happiness, but they can't save. They ultimately let us down, and they give no foundation, no hope. And so God speaks to his people. He, he speaks to us because he wants to draw our hearts back to him as the one who is worthy of trust and worship and also to set our hearts free from this pursuit of smaller gods, the futility of following them, so that we can have real hope, strong hope in him. It's his heart for weary people. So instead of trusting in idols and in little gods that we manufacture, we want to find strong hope in a big God. So what does that look like? Let's dive into the passage. The first thing is this, that only God is big enough to handle all the details. Only the real God is big enough to handle all the details. Did you hear this in verse 18 that we started with? Thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens, who formed the earth and, and made it, he established it. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, if you remember, we've heard this message, this idea several times in Isaiah that Yahweh, God alone, is the one who created everything that exists, including his people whom he formed and fashioned. And there's kind of an ironic contrast there to the people who are now forming and fashioning idols that cannot save them. A God who's big enough, though, to create everything, to rule over everything, that's a God that I need. That means he's bigger than anything around me. He's bigger than any created person or thing or any power or, or system we really need to know that when things are not going the way that we expect or that we wanted. I mean, that's what God recognizes, you see, here in, in verse 21. 
Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? Now, the context, again, remember, is God is speaking to his people who are or will be in exile. And, and that was a profound faith shattering thing for God's people because God says he himself is the one who warned them about exile and then actually raised up the Babylonians to capture the holy city Jerusalem and defile his temple and take his people out of the land that he had promised them. God says, I, I did that and I foretold it and I made it happen. And even though that's hard in the reality of those things, it's a reminder that we need that God is at work orchestrating everything that happens in our lives, that nothing is happening that's outside of his knowledge and his control, even terrible events, even painful, hard, regrettable realities. He has a purpose behind everything that he's done and everything that he's doing, and he sustains the world moment by moment. God is at work in, in all the troubling events in the world around us. God is at work in all the puzzling and painful experiences of our lives. God knows and controls everything that's going on. So what do I have to fear? Because our God is big enough to manage all the details. Now, I live in kind of uh, an ongoing uh, perpetual low-grade fear of forgetting things, forgetting appointments, forgetting birthdays, forgetting that person that I need to follow up with, um, forgetting things that I'm trying to manage. Uh, for many years, my family has called me the absent-minded professor because I spend as much time on home repair projects looking for my tools as I do actually using them. In fact, for Christmas this year, my wife Amelia made me this wonderful little sign that says, stop, exit car, look on roof of car to make sure there are no belongings, remove belongings from roof of car, re-enter car, and leave. Because the list of things that I have left on top of the car and seen go flying off through the rearview mirror includes a casserole dish, a Bible, my wallet, and a couple of cell phones. So I have tried to manage that reality with reminders like signs from my wife and uh, project management software and uh, calendars that help me remember dates and meetings. And there's nothing wrong with using any of those things. In fact, they're, they're really helpful. But there is a danger in thinking that with the right tool, I can manage everything in my life. And that if I just work hard enough and I'm smart enough, I can be efficient and nothing will fall through the cracks and I can handle all the details. But the problem is, one, I can't really do that. And then even if I could, I start to maybe become a little judgmental towards people who aren't as organized as and efficient as I am. Because if I'm the person that does seem to have it all together, well, then you're just a loser who's not as disciplined as I am if you can't measure up to my level. And then I can start to resent interruptions because that's not a part of my plan and, and I have it all figured out because I'm managing the details. 
See, there's none of us that can manage it all and control it all and guarantee that everything works the right way because no matter what we do, life is full of unknowns and interruptions. And especially for those of us who have raised or are raising young kids, I mean, kids are just little living machines for creating interruptions, right? And the thing to do is to trust that God is at work. God is at work in those interruptions, whether it's the flat tire or the kid who's running upstairs because somebody's not doing what they're supposed to be doing or they've gotten into something or uh, the boss or the coworker that work comes in and drops something on your plate. God is at work. God is big enough to handle all those details of everything that's happening in my life. And that gives me a peace. It, it, it frees me to let go of my expectations and respond to what God is doing in the moment. Only God is big enough to manage all the details, and, and he does, which we need to know because things don't always go the way that we expect or plan. We get in a mess, and, and we look for help, and we come up with a solution that often can end up trapping us in the very thing we were trying to avoid. I remember when I was younger, my parents had a lot of angry arguments, and that made me tell myself, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to build a home that's full of peace and calm and quiet. And it worked great while I lived on my own. And then I married this wonderful woman who had different ideas about the way things should be done and different priorities. And then we added four kids in the mix and all those personalities and desires and they all kind of bump into one another. And here I am with this idol that says, no, what we need in this house is peace and calm and quiet. And then what I end up doing is getting angry and resentful when there's not peace and calm and quiet. And I end up producing the very thing that led me to want the peace and the calm and the quiet in the first place because the idol could not save me. And there's nothing wrong with wanting peace and quiet, right? But the problem is trusting that you know, if everyone would just worship the idol I've created, then I could be happy, and, and everyone else would see how wonderful I'm managing things. And when they don't worship my idol, I respond with anger and frustration. Only God is big enough to save us from all those troubles. Only God is big enough to save us to make things the way they ought to be, to make me the way I ought to be. Did you hear that in verse 22? Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. And how much more on this side of the cross as followers of Jesus can we look back and see what that looks like, that we have a God who's not telling us to clean up our act and get it right in order to be saved, but we have a God who actually took on flesh not for the godly, but for the ungodly, who sacrificed himself. A God who says, turn to me and be saved, not because you've got the right answers, not because you're getting it together, but because you don't and you can't, and I'm here to save you. None of those little gods, none of those idols that we create can save us. Only God can do that. Because look at how he says it in verse 24. Only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. 
righteousness, being right. It's only through faith in what God has done in Jesus Christ that we can be right with God and right inside of ourselves as God goes to work. Think about all the idols of righteousness that are paraded in front of us in our culture. All the issues that we need to have the right understanding of and the right engagement with and and, and we gather together then people who would agree with us about the right way things are supposed to be done about this issue or this policy. And we convince ourselves as we listen to each other how right we are in our positions and we have nothing to learn from those people who disagree with us because they're just bad and stupid and evil. And all we have for them is scorn and judgment because we've got the right answers. And you end up with rage and moral indignation, and and it's not just politics. I mean, it's relationships and family dynamics and, and interactions at work, right? We end up righteous in our own eyes and scornful and judgmental towards anyone who disagrees. There's no grace, no kindness, no joy, no peace, no love, because only in the Lord is their righteousness, the ability to recognize my own need for forgiveness and then to give it to one another, to be a kind of person from the inside out who loves what is right and shows the same kind of grace that God has shown to me. What are the functional saviors in my life or the idols? Maybe the... (laughs) the measurements of righteousness that I'm defining myself by, by having the right position, the right understanding, the right work ethic, whatever it is. I think it's worth reflecting on. What is it that I become righteous about? Because there's a freedom here, do you you see? When God says, only in me are righteousness and strength, he's saying, I want to take that burden from you. As you turn to Jesus and look to him with hope and faith, you're saying, and maybe you've never come to this point, and I pray that today you could say this, God, I am not righteous. I don't have it all figured out. I cannot save myself, not by my knowledge, not by my good works, not by my efforts. Only you can save me because of what you have done in your son Jesus. I give you my sin, I take his righteousness, and then God help me become a right kind of person from the inside as I live in your grace and your kindness, your undeserved goodness, and show it to others. That makes it possible for us to give grace to people that we disagree with. Grace to forgive people as we have been forgiven. And that's hard because... Boy, there's a lot of injustice and wrong in this world, and all of us have suffered unfairly in all kinds of ways. And we want to know that evil is not going to win the day, that, that unjust, injustice and oppression don't get the last word, that, that the bad guys don't get away with it. And that's the last thing here. That only God is big enough to subdue all his enemies. Only God is big enough to subdue all his enemies. Did you hear that in verse 23? 
I myself have sworn, the Lord says, to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. And to him, to the Lord, shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. Every knee will bow. Every idol, every false world system, every ruler, every power that has opposed itself to God and his truth will one day bow before Jesus. Because you probably heard the echo here that the Apostle Paul picks up in Philippians 2, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a gracious invitation and an encouragement. God will judge. Nobody's going to get away with it ultimately. And, and he then is the source of our confidence and our hope and our reassurance. Yes, one day Jesus will return in glory to judge the living and the dead and sin and evil will be destroyed. But that's not today. Today, we still live in a world where powerful people can run roughshod over the weak and the innocent, and, and it seems like the wrong people are getting ahead and getting away with it. But one day, one day, it will be made right, and God promises that it will happen. So what does that mean for us? Well, we look at Jesus and how he has come to save not riding in power to subdue his enemies, but coming in humility to sacrifice and suffer in order to reconcile people to God. He's not a God who rules through conquest to conquer the ungodly, but a God who humbles himself in service to save the ungodly. And one day he will subdue his enemies and rule and reign, but, but that's what Jesus will do and not what we're called to do. We're not called to subdue God's enemies. Yes, we're called to fight for justice, to, to fight for truth, to preach the word of God, to, to invite people to know Jesus and be reconciled to him and to warn them about a, a coming judgment. But we are not called to take up arms and crush those who are opposed to God's ways. We're called into a kingdom of love and joy and sacrifice and service, just as Jesus has loved and sacrificed for and served us, trusting that one day our God is big enough and he will make it all right. And then what that means for us now is we don't just do nothing and sit on our blessed assurance waiting for Jesus to come back. It, it means we care about what he cares about. If Jesus has come preaching sight for the blind and freedom for captives and, and joy and <laughs> help for the poor and the vulnerable, that's what we're called to. We're called, as the famous Methodist pastor and evangelist John Wesley said, to do all the good you possibly can to all the bodies and souls of men as an expression of Jesus' love and kindness to us. It also means, because I know that God is big enough to subdue all his enemies. I don't have to get stressed out or angry or freaked out or resentful when 
ungodly people do ungodly things. That's the way this world works and the way it's going to work until Jesus comes again. I'm realistic but also hopeful about the limits and the possibility for God to use us to redeem and make this world look more like his kingdom. Yes, we work for justice, we model godliness, we reflect peace and grace and kindness, and we do that with confidence knowing that our God is big enough. You know, we live in a world of uh, almost limitless choice. Uh, go into the grocery store, go into Kroger, and you want to buy a box of cookies. And it's not just a shelf of options, it's an aisle of options. And the same thing for laundry detergent or cars or investment opportunities. We live in a world of limitless opportunities and choices of all kinds of all kinds of products, all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of worldviews offering to solve a problem and to make life work for us. Kind of like it was with all these idols and deities in Isaiah's day. It's like that in our day too. Now, the, the temples and the festivals and the sacrifices maybe are not as overtly religious. Maybe we don't call as many things God. But we live in a world of many gods and many saviors. Who can save? Who can bring wholeness and peace? Who can make us right? Who can give us strength and hope? And through Isaiah, God says to those people what he says to us, there is no other. Oh, we long, we long to know that somebody is in charge and working out a plan that is actually good. There is no other. We look for something that will make us right, that will make us good, that, that will make us feel like we're the people we ought to be. There is no other. We look for someone who will bring about justice and make bad people stop doing the bad things they're doing. There's no other. Life is frightening, life is confusing, life can seem overwhelming. Turn to me and be saved, the Lord says, all the ends of the earth. There is no other. Trust in Yahweh, the Lord. He is big enough to give us strong hope in tough times. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that challenges us in order to help us and free us and heal us. Oh, Lord, help us to see the ways that we tend to take what you have created and the good things you leave for us and we turn them into little gods and saviors and idols. Oh, God, free our hearts to love and trust and hope in you alone because only in you, the, the God who really is God, is there strong hope. Encourage our hearts in your hope. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.